But we're going to get into our message today. Uh, we're in week five now on our study of the book of Philippians. And I want to just give you a, a heads up on what to expect over the next few weeks. Next week, we'll be continuing the series that will be week six. And we've got a special treat for you because Christopher Parrish is going to be speaking. And so I'm excited to hear from him. He always brings such a, a fresh and different perspective to things. He, he thinks very differently than I do. And so I always enjoy listening to uh, what he has to say. And he's going to be covering some really big content, like some of the most popular scriptures within Philippians. He's going to be covering, so I promise you, you don't want to miss it. Make sure you're here next week. And then the week following, I will be back up here to close out the series. So we have today, and then we have two more beyond that to close this thing out. Uh, but we've already gotten into quite a bit of content, even through these first four weeks. Uh, if you take a few steps back and think about some of the things that we've discussed, it's some pretty big topics. Um, in the first week, we talked about the idea of perseverance, the idea of, of what God has begun in our lives, he will complete. So we need to continue to trust him. We need to, to continue to step forward into what he has for us, right? That's a pretty big deal for our lives and our perspectives. Uh, the week after, we talked about the idea of putting Christ first in our lives. Like everything we are and everything we do, we need to center it around Christ. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added. And so what an important message that was. The, the week after, we talked about humility over pride. How so often our pride and our ego gets in the way of what Christ really wants to do in our lives. And so we need to get rid of that, humble ourselves like Christ did, and walk forward in that manner and with that posture. And then last week, we, we had a message on faith, which is about as big a concept as you can cover in our context, right? But we talked about how important and how precious faith is to us and so how we need to protect it and, and we need to guard it. We need to hold firmly to these things as we walk them out in our lives. So even in the first four weeks, I mean, we've talked about some big stuff. And what you'll find interesting is... Paul is going to continuously bring these things up throughout his letter. You'll oftentimes find himself repeating over and over again the same things. And the reason he does that is because we have to remember that he knew these people very well, okay? He very much knows the audience that he is speaking to, which is to say um, he knows their strengths, um, he knows their opportunities. He knows what they're struggling with. And so as any good leader does, he's going to step in and he's going to encourage them in these areas. He's going to speak life into the places where life needs to come. And so even today, we'll see Paul kind of repeating himself over and over again to really get his point across. And so um, today, we're actually going to start by rereading some of the scriptures that we discussed last week. And the reason we're going to do that is because... As First Lady mentioned, uh, we have to remember that this is one free-flowing letter from Paul. And that's hard for us sometimes to remember because of the chapters and verses that we now see to help our understanding. But originally, this was just one letter. And so when we go in to discuss one chunk of it, 
We have to really understand what led up to that and sometimes what follows it as well, just to kind of get a scope of what the writer is actually intending to say. So we're going to begin in chapter 3, verse 7. And remember, at this point, just before this scripture, Paul has just got done talking about how good he was according to the law, right? All of the the work that he put in to, to make himself right with God, that's what he's just said And so this is how he continues. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So now we pick up in verse 12. This is where we begin our section today. He continues, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's upward call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Now, you can imagine uh, we have quite a bit of content here that we could work through. There are plenty of puzzle pieces to to put together, and, and we'll be able to get through, I think, most of that today. But before we begin to unpack this, I just want to, to say a word of prayer to uh, kind of make sure our hearts and our minds are settled in the right place for this. So if you could just bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Let's maybe just slow things down for a minute. Heavenly Father, we are here because of you. We are here to encounter you. We are here to hear from you. We're here to recommit ourselves to you. And so I pray in this moment that you would uh, speak to us, that you would open up our hearts, that you would open up our minds to receive whatever it is you have for us. And Holy Spirit, you are the only one that can move and speak that way. I certainly can't do that. I I can't penetrate anybody's heart or anybody's mind. You can. And so right now, we submit to you. We submit to your word. We submit to your will. And we open up to say, I'm going to allow this to impact me. I'm going to allow this to change me from the inside out. That is our heart this morning. And so that's what we continue to walk into And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Okay, well, here's where we're gonna start with this section of scripture. I think this is gonna lay the foundation for us that we need to. Paul makes a very important statement in verse number 12. He says, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus, okay? So something interesting is happening within the original language here, and it's all around this phrase, taken hold of, 
all right? This is actually one Greek word, and we're going to put it on the screen for you. It's pronounced katalambano. It's a fun one to say, right? It makes you want to dance a little bit. This word means to, to seize, to take hold of, to, 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 to take possession of. That's very much what this word ultimately means. And Paul uses this twice within this one sentence. One of the times he uses it to describe what Christ has done to him. In other words, Christ has, has seized him. He has taken hold of him. That's how he describes his encounter with Jesus. Now, remember, he's talking about this within the context of a love relationship. Okay, That's how he means this. I don't know if you have anybody in your life that you would describe it this way, somebody who's just seized your heart, right? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a child that's like, yep, they got me, right? I, I am all theirs. That is very much the way in which Paul is using this. I am his. He has my heart. He has my mind. He has my strength. He has taken hold of me. But then the other way he uses this word is to describe his purpose in life. In other words, he wants to seize it. He, he wants to, to take hold of his purpose. In fact, I want to read to you the NASB translation of this because I think it brings this idea together really well. It says, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So there are a couple important things here that we very much need to understand, starting with the implication here is enormous, and that is Christ has laid hold of Paul's heart for a reason, uh, for, for a purpose. In other words, Christ did not take hold of him for the heck of it, right? Or, or even simply for some uh, future eternal destination. Far too often we kind of simplify Christianity into that one thing. Well, I believe in Jesus, so I'll just kind of wait until I die and, and I see him. And we'll talk a little more about that in a moment. But Paul's already beginning to show that's not what being a Christ follower is about, Jesus has taken hold of us for a reason, for a purpose. There's a new work that he wants to do in and through us, and we need to take hold of it. We need to seize it and go after it. This is what Paul is trying to tell them. In fact, a, a, a really wise scholar, Alexander McLaren, once said this. He said, what is the good of turning a man around unless he actually goes in the direction to which he now faces? This is such a beautiful quote around the idea of repentance. It's one thing to turn around. It's a whole other thing to go in that new direction. And this is the work of Christ. He's laid hold of us so that we can lay hold of the purpose and the mission for which he has created us. See, Christ taking hold of our hearts is just the beginning right? That's just the start of things. You think about even Paul and that road to Damascus and this experience he has with Jesus. As amazing as that was, it was just the beginning of the journey. Now it's time to walk. Now it's time to move. There is work yet to be done. And this is what Paul is trying to show them. Now, this is often where some people will get a little bit confused with the concept of faith versus works, because we see Paul talking about both of these things. Paul is trying to inspire and motivate them into action. But Paul is not saying, press on so that you can achieve some sort of eternal salvation. 
That's not what Paul is trying to say. Christ has already laid hold of his heart, right? That's, that's done. That's over with. What he's saying is Christ didn't do this so I can simply stroll through the rest of my life in the most selfish, convenient way possible. That's not why Christ has done it. He's done it because he wants to work in and through me right now. He wants to continue the work that he initiated at the cross. Remember when Jesus died for this? Like remember when he gave everything for this? This is what Paul is trying to show them. So here's his charge. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. Keep picking up your cross. Keep denying yourself and watch how he works through you in a beautiful way. This is how he begins this section of scripture. Now, now here's a good follow-up question to all of that. If Christ has laid hold of us for a purpose, what is that purpose, right? Like a lot of times we speak really vaguely about these things. What exactly are we talking about? And I love this particular translation because it brings it to light so clearly. We read this in verse 12. Not that I have already reached the goal, which begs the question, what's the goal? Well, let's backtrack to verse 10. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, so listen, let's talk about these things and see what we might be able to learn from them. Because obviously, this, if this is our purpose, this is important. And, and this is actually a beautifully holistic picture of why Christ has taken hold of us. There's a lot here that we need to understand. By the way, you'll notice Paul does make mention of a, a future eternity. Right? He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that's definitely a part of this. But again, it's amongst a whole slew of other things, most of which are talking about the here and now, what we are to do in this life. And so let's briefly unpack these things and how we can apply them. The first thing Paul says is, my goal is to know him. My goal is to know him. Jesus. I love that he starts here because he begins with the, the connection piece of it. Like when you think about it, it's so Christ-centered. It's, it's so relational. I just want to know him. I, I just I want to be with him. It's, it's such a beautiful feeling that Paul is getting across. But there's a big distinction that we need to call out here as it relates to the concept of knowing someone. Because the truth of the matter is, in our culture today, the idea of knowing someone is really quite surface level, right? I mean, isn't that the truth? And we could go down a whole list of reasons why that is. We live in a very individualized uh, culture. Uh, we live in an age of technology, so we can hear from people and see people without ever really meeting them face to face. And we trick ourselves into thinking we actually know them, right? A lot of reasons why this happens. But as a result, the idea of knowing someone today is really just boiled down to information, right? Uh, we're, we're really good at knowing about people without actually really coming to know them. And the Greek word Paul uses here is certainly much deeper than that cultural understanding of this because it's a term that is almost entirely wrapped up in experience, okay? It's, it's, it's not a, a head knowledge of Jesus. It, it's, it's an experiential knowledge with him. That's what it's about. This is why we say things like, I have a relationship with Christ. Because our aim is not simply to know a bunch of things about Jesus, but to actually experience him in our lives. That's what it's about. 
And so Paul here is talking about a moment by moment, day by day, walking with Christ, abiding in Christ, trust in Christ. There's this depth here that we need to understand. And so if we minimize this to a simple head knowledge, we only skim the surface of what is an infinitely deep knowing that is made available to us in our relationship with him. In fact, think about the person that you are closest to in, in this life. Think about that. Get that person in your mind right now. Best friend, your spouse, child, wh- whoever it might be. If somebody were to ask you, do you really know that person? Like, like do, do you really know them? You wouldn't prove that by, by giving their date of birth, right? You, you wouldn't prove that by stating what their height and their weight is. That's not how you would prove it. You would tell of the times that they sat with you in your darkest hours. They would, you would tell of the, the hours that they spent and the grace that they extended and the love that they showed you when nobody else was showing you that love. That is knowing somebody. And this is what Paul is striving for, what he's reaching for. I want to know Jesus like this. I want to experience him in my life like this. That is my goal. I want to know Jesus. This is the first thing he says. The second thing he says is this, that I may know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of what he's done for me. Now, once again, we have this word know included within this. So again, let's remind ourselves, we're speaking of an experience over and above a head knowledge. Okay, this is an important distinction because it's one thing to say, I've been set free through his resurrection. It's a whole nother thing for the reality of that to grip you and to change you and to flow through you. That's something completely different. And see, far too often we will throw around words like love and and joy and peace, and they sound so wonderful and so beautiful. But to know the power of his resurrection is to actually experience those things, to actually rest in those things, like to live in unshakable joy, to walk in sacrificial love, to rest in unspeakable peace. That's what it's about. And listen, it's not to say that we'll do that perfectly. In fact, Paul says as much. He says, not that I've obtained it, not not that I've achieved it already, but what am I going to do? I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep moving forward to see it bear out in my life. Man, I want to know the power and the vastness of what Christ has done for me and how that can pour out in my life. Then he says this, that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. That I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, here's the thing. Everything up to that point sounds great, right? Relationship with Christ, I'm in on that. Power of his resurrection sounds wonderful. But then we get to this part and we're like, eh, right? I'll pass right over that. I don't really like that. But here's the truth of the matter. If we know Jesus, and again, the depths of that, if we know the power of his resurrection, we will share in his sufferings. That's a certainty. And frankly, the New Testament is abundantly clear about that. There's no bait and switch happening here. It's very, very clear. But here's the thing. When we read suffering in a verse like this, we immediately think about physical suffering, right? Isn't that immediately where our minds go? We think about Jesus and the cross. Uh, We think about the persecution of the early church and and the martyrs in the early centuries. And for good reason, like we see that quite overtly throughout the biblical narrative. However, sharing in Christ's sufferings go way beyond that, okay? This This is very important. Let's do a quick grammar lesson within the Greek language. 
The Greek word that is translated here as sufferings is the exact same word that is used to describe our human desires and our natural urges. In other words, when we submit to Christ and we begin overriding our sinful desires, like when we say, you know, I feel like doing this, but I'm going to resist that urge. Right? When we feel anger rising up, but we choose love, we're actively participating in the sufferings of Christ. Isn't that an interesting perspective? Like things like submission and gentleness and self-control, these are all ways of knowing the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and I really like that scripture explains it this way, because let's be honest about it. When we're in these moments and when we're in these situations, that's exactly what it feels like. Can we be like to withhold my tongue in moments of anger? That's suffering, man. I want to let it out, right? When we, when we try to override those negative thoughts and those negative opinions, that's suffering. To choose to not do something despite every fiber of my being saying, do it, that's suffering. And listen, this is the Christian life. That's what it is to follow Jesus, to choose to do what is right instead of what we want, to love instead of hate, to give instead of receive. And in these things, we share in the fellowship of his sufferings as he uses it to change us and the people around us. That's how he works. That's how he works. Now, here's the good news. And this is always how the process of sanctification works as we become more and more like Jesus. And that is what feels like suffering eventually just becomes your lifestyle. Eventually just becomes how how you live your life. Like for instance, not eating junk food feels like suffering at first until it doesn't, until it just becomes how you live your life. In it's same way with the Christian. Over time, our hearts and our minds are truly conformed to the image of the son. We become more and more like Jesus and the war on our inner man gets easier and easier and easier. We have to keep heading down this path. And this actually leads us to the next topic that Paul is bringing about here. And that is the idea of spiritual maturity. The idea of spiritual growth. Paul is very serious about spiritual growth. Over and over and over again in his letters, you will find him talking about it. And this is what he said in verse 15. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. Okay, let us think this way. Now, we talked about this a little bit in week one, but it's worth calling out again. The word translated here as mature is often translated in English as perfect. In fact, we saw this in verse 12. It says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. It's the exact same Greek word. So one time it's translated perfect. The other time it's translated mature. And that can be a little bit confusing for us at times because perfect means something very different to us these days, right? Perfect means flawless. Uh, It means impeccable. It means 100%. That's what perfect means. But in the ancient Eastern construct, perfect simply meant mature. Um, or, or to be complete, to be whole. In other words, you're on your way to being all that you can be. You're, you're reaching your potential. That's much more the feeling and idea that they had around this concept. By the way, a much better perspective than we have today, if, if I might say so myself. But Paul says this, those of us who are like this, 
Those of us who are growing and maturing, let us think this way. I want you to think a certain way. And what way is that? Well, for starters, everything that we just said, right? To know Jesus, to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, right? That would certainly be indicative of the mature Christian. But let's talk about a few of the other things that Paul mentions throughout this letter as well, because there's a lot that we can learn from this. Like, for instance, Paul has just said, I consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is a huge, huge statement. And this is no doubt a spiritually mature way to think. It it, it is. In fact, just a few chapters before, Paul says, to live is Christ. In, In other words, my life is all because of, it's all about, it's all for Jesus. That's what I've learned through my spiritual growth. By the way, this is why we use verbiage today like, I've given my life to Christ. That's why we say that. That's not some sort of like abstract spiritual thing that's fun to say. It's exactly what it says. My life is now his, right? So whatever he wants from me, whatever he asks of me, however he wants to use me, so be it, I am now his. That's why we say that. But listen, that's something we grow in. That's something we mature into. Far too often today, we think we're gonna encounter Jesus and boom, we're perfect, Everything's just fine. I'm putting him first. Everything's great. No, we mature into this. We grow into this. Even the idea of putting him first is something we learn how to do over time with the help of the Spirit. And this is what Paul is showing us. Here's another thing that Paul says. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Now, now where's the maturity in this? Okay, what, what exactly is he pointing to? Well, there's an important piece of information that is key here, and that is Paul is writing this letter near the end of his days. Okay, this is no doubt the, the latter years of his life, which is to say he has spent countless hours working for Christ. In fact, he has given his entire existence to serving God. Can you just imagine like how many prayers Paul has prayed by this point? Can you imagine how many hours of communion he's entered into? How many moments of worship he's had? Paul has seemingly given everything. And yet, as the greatest apostle to ever live, even as he approaches death, he says, I haven't attained it yet. I I haven't taken hold of it yet. I still haven't reached the point where I've done so much for God that I can just conveniently ride out the rest of my days. I have still not reached that point. Now, on the one hand, that's a really sobering thought. Because as much as Paul has done for the kingdom by this point, he still realizes there's much more work to be done. There's much more to do. And yet on the other hand, man, that should fire some of us up. Man, that should get some of us going. I don't care how long you've been living for Christ. I don't care how many prayers, how many hours, how many moments of worship. He's not done with you yet. He wants to do more in your life. He wants to do more in and through you. Like, man, that should get us going. That should get us going. In fact, listen, if you feel your days coming to an end, all the more reason to get up now and do everything you can while you still have breath in your lungs. He's not done with you yet. This is what Paul is saying. Man, I've yet to reach the goal. I've yet to take hold of it. That is spiritual maturity. I'm gonna keep moving forward. I love that perspective. Here's one last thing Paul writes. 
This is starting in verse 13. As it relates to spiritual maturity, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's upward call in Christ Jesus. Now listen, there are two giant things here that we need to take from this as it relates to our spiritual growth. So listen closely. The first thing is this. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Another translation puts it this way. Forgetting the things behind me and looking forward. Do you want to know what spiritual growth is often measured by? That, right there. That perspective and that mindset. You guys ever seen... um, one of the races on social media or on YouTube where uh, the runners get on the block and they take off and sure enough, within the first few seconds, somebody trips and falls, right? And you're like, oh no, that's brutal. Everything they've been working for, everything they've been training for all down the drain because of this one mistake and they get up and they start running and then, oh my goodness, around the first turn, they're getting closer. Around the next turn, they're getting closer and they're getting, and sure enough, by the finish line, they've won the race. Everybody's going crazy, right? Like, it's so awesome. You like feel tears welling up in your eyes. That is the picture of Christian maturity right there. That's it. The ability to say, man, I've messed up. I've done a lot of stupid things. In fact, yesterday I was a complete mess, but I'm getting myself up and I'm continuing to move forward. The race isn't finished yet. I'm going to keep moving forward. See here, the truth is, so many of us are spiritually stunted for this very reason. We we can't get our eyes off the past. We can't seem to do it. Mistakes that we've made, mistakes other people have made, things we can't make sense of, we get stuck in these things and we stop moving forward. But Paul says, forget what is behind you and reach forward to what is ahead. Forget your past and look to your future. This is the perspective We ought to have. And this actually leads to the second thing here that's important. And that is, are you catching the urgency within Paul's words here? Are you catching this? Check out some of the things that he says in this section of his letter. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it. He says, I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God. Other translations say things like, I strain ahead, I press on, I keep running forward. Because here's the thing. Sometimes in order to get beyond your past, you have to make every effort to overcome it. You have to run with everything in you to get beyond that. Sometimes that's what you have to do. And this shows us something very important about the Christian life, and that is it's not a stagnant, lukewarm, taking it easy type of lifestyle. That's not what it is. Paul is clearly trying to motivate these people. Give it everything you have. Don't slow down. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. And I feel like many of us today need to be encouraged in the same way. Like, don't get caught up in your mistakes. Get your eyes off the rearview mirror and keep moving forward. Keep moving ahead. Now, that's not to say it's going to be easy. That's not to say it's simple. Get up and keep running forward with everything you have. This is yet again another huge sign of spiritual maturity. Can you trust in his grace? Can you trust in his goodness? Can you trust in his will? If so, get up, wipe yourself off, and keep running forward. That's what it means to know him. That's what it means. This leads us to the conclusion of of chapter 3 where he says this, starting in verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, 
And pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, now we could spend hours on that. That's the truth of the matter. There's so many good things in there. Here's the main point of this section, okay? Paul says this really simple but extremely profound statement. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Now, here's the thing. There's a thread of this throughout the entirety of Philippians 3. In fact, if you go back to your notes later today and look backward, you'll you'll see it all throughout this chapter. This is really the whole point of what Paul is trying to show them. But there's an important perspective here that we need to understand, and it might not be what you think, okay? Because here's the thing. When Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven, what he's not saying is one day we will be whisked off into heaven, and so let's just wait patiently for that day. That's what many, many, many Christians will translate, and that's what they think he's saying. That simply does not line up with everything else Paul is saying here, nor does it line up with the context. Remember, follow me here. Paul is writing to a Roman colony. That is to say they are citizens of Rome. They do not reside in Rome. So if Paul was to say you are citizens of Rome, that would be an accurate statement. But he's saying nothing of an actual location and everything of a culture, a kingdom, and a mindset. This is so very important. N.T. Wright puts it this way. The task of the Roman citizen in a place like Philippi was to bring Roman culture and rule to northern Greece, to expand Roman influence there. Listen, likewise, when Paul says we are citizens of heaven, this is then the expectation of the Christian to bring Christ's rule and reign to earth and expand his influence within. Yeah, you should clap to that. (laughs) That... That is exactly what Paul is trying to show them. There are three things here that he's specifically trying to bring to their attention. The first one is allegiance. He continues to go back to this idea over and over again. He's reminding them, Rome is not your homeland. Caesar is not your king. Jesus is. Remember who's in control. Remember who is Lord and master of this creation. That's the first thing he's trying to show them. The second thing he's showing them is purpose that this is their purpose. Paul is saying, I want you to make earth a colony of heaven. Think think about that. In other words, a, a place where Jesus is truly Lord, a place where he truly rules and reigns, a place where his love and his grace and his peace is pervasive. This is your purpose as Christ followers. This is in essence the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we desperately need to realize, and this just keeps coming up throughout this letter, that that does not put our eyes on some distant future with God. That puts our eyes on the here and now as he works through us to accomplish that. That's what is going on. And that's what Paul is pointing them to. Keep bringing heaven to earth. Keep bringing the, the kingdom to this world. Keep shifting the land into Christ's likeness. This is who we are, and this is our purpose. Allegiance purpose. And here's the third and the most important thing that he's showing us. And that is perspective. Perspective. This is really 
the entirety of chapter three boiled up into one idea. When Paul uses the word heaven here, he's not really talking about a place at all. He's talking about a way of thinking. He's talking about a way of living. He's talking about a culture that is so very different from the world, which is in fact what he's just got done saying. He said, they set their minds on earthly things. I'm telling you to think differently. I'm telling you to set your minds on something else. He does the same thing in Romans 12 when he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, right? In other words, there's a huge difference between the perspective of the world and the perspective of God. There's this really huge chasm between the two of those things, right? Like for instance, it's selfishness versus selflessness, right? It's, it's pride and ego versus humility, It's receiving everything we can versus giving everything we can. It's being served versus serving others. It's convenience versus mission. Like on and on we could go, right? Are you seeing a trend here? Let's be honest about this. God's economy very much seems upside down compared to the natural order of things. It very much does. Like love your enemies and do good to them. What do we, seriously? Uh, uh, Count others more significant than yourself? Um, the, the first shall be last and the servant of all. What are we talking about, right? Like this seems completely illogical, but this is why God says, hey, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And I want you to realize what life is really about. And so here's Paul's ultimate contention. Take on that heavenly perspective. Think this way, live this way. In other words, be selfless, be humble, freely give, be a servant to all and realize that every breath you take on this earth is to be used for his glory, for his kingdom and for his will. So keep going, keep pressing on. You're gonna fall, wipe yourself up, let's go. This is what he's trying to encourage them with. Please stand with me. Here's what I want you to do through this week. I want you to go back and I want you to reread chapter three. Okay, everybody paying attention still? I want you to reread chapter three and I want you to go through and I want you to highlight everything that stands out to you. And if there's something that goes beyond the pages, write down some notes as to what you think the Holy Spirit's saying to you. And just see what that does for your perspective. See what that does as you walk day by day in relationship with Christ because I promise you it will have an impact on your heart, on your mind, on your perspective. And so I wanna end a little bit differently today because I, I want us to spend some time reflecting, okay? I think a lot of times we, we come and we hear a message and we're like, man, that was great. And then we walk out and it's like, on to the next thing, right? What's for lunch? Let's go. And so I wanna ask some serious questions. And if you need to write these things down or take a snapshot of it to really ponder, I want you to do that, Okay. So, so I've got three questions that I want you to think about. The first one is this. Are you actively and passionately taking hold of what Christ has called you to? Are you, are you pressing forward? Are you straining ahead? Are you truly giving everything to see him accomplish what he's created for you? Are you doing this? Think about it. Here's the second one. Where are you at in your spiritual maturity? Where, where are you at? Are you, are you, as Paul would say, still sipping on milk when you should be eating meat? Are, are you stalled out? Do you have your focus on your past? 
Have you hit the cruise button because you're later in life? Where are you at in your spiritual maturity? And here's the third and final one. Do you truly have a kingdom of heaven perspective? That is a mindset that gives you different priorities, gives you different worries, different concerns than this world. And is that evident in your calendar? Is that evident in your bank account? Is that evident in your kids? Do you truly have a kingdom of heaven perspective? I want you to think about these things over the next few days and see what that does to your heart and your mind as the Holy Spirit does his work.